Well, that's a really good song, isn't it? You know what's amazing is, is that you hear a song like that and you hear it sung by kids that are, oh, some of you are 50 years younger than me, and you're talking about looking back and how in looking back that God's done something for you and you're only 19 or 20 or 21 or 22 years of age. I hope you're still singing like that at 65 and 70 when you have a whole lot more to look back on. But that's a blessing. I think you ought to take that song and take the words of it if you don't memorize it. And I think you ought to plaster it in, your, in front of your Bible somewhere. Just, you know, little things that are important uh, that you just tape them in there and keep them. I don't know why I'm feeding back. Is the other microphone on here on? But, but putting stuff like that in your Bible, you look back on it, that's stuff right there that's come out of the old cover and stuff like that. That's 1995. I look back on that stuff and I think to myself, why'd you put that there? And then I take a look at it. You know what I find out? I find out that uh, there's different things that are in there that in 1995 I was going through and I thought that was going to be the end of the world. <laughs> Trouble, trials, difficulties, persecutions, tribulations, all those other kind of things going on in your life and you're thinking... Why'd you put that there to remind you that God got you through? Boy, you guys are doing a great job with the sound. I don't know what I'm doing. I got to be doing something wrong. I'm standing in the wrong spot or something. You want me to change microphones? Take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter number 37. Genesis 37. While you're turning, let me run something by you here that you may or may not have considered. things is this. Is this okay to use? Is that all right? Okay. Thank you, Brother Adam. Appreciate it. Now, I don't know about you. I've been around camp food before, but you have non-typical camp food here. Um, you don't really know or appreciate sometimes what camp food can be. I was sitting back there talking to Brother Joe just for a minute before the service started, and I was saying, can you remember back in the days when you first started this thing, when Brother Mike had a vision for it, and you came over here and you rented out a campground, and you had about 30 people here, and we thought it was a big camp. And the place was so big and so cavernous that when you talked, no matter what you did with the sound, you couldn't prevent the sound from bouncing all over the creation. And now you look in here and you got a bunch of sound deadeners in here. That would be you. And the sound doesn't travel out as far and it doesn't bounce like it used to and those kind of things because the building's full. And you've gone from preparing something like for, say, 30 people. That works out to be three times a day. That's 90 meals a day. You have ladies over there in the kitchen today. They have to prepare in a day's time 600 meals. There's 200 of you people here. Did you think about that when you went through the line? You're one of 600. 600, that's the number that went with David. 200 dropped off by the brook Besor and 400 went with him to go out to recover the stuff when he came back there from uh, Ziklag. But you ever think about that? That's women that are out there, four, five, six women that are over there making 600 meals a day. You ever think about who's running the sound? So you can hear. You can't hear in here without sound. You can't hear in here without speakers. It, it's, it's impossible. Everything bounces and bangs around. All the amount of time and effort it took. This is not a guilt trip just for you to consider about it. 
You consider about who's playing the instruments and who's taking care of the sound and then who's cleaning up and different things like that. But what hit me today was 600 meals, man. That's like feeding a small battle group. Uh, that'd make you maybe think the next time you walk through the line instead of thinking, you know, well, how come I got them funny looking squiggly noodles on my plate there to think, thank God I got anything on my plate. I wouldn't fix food for 600 people. 600 people that uh, have to be fed or 600 meals that have to be taken care of. I appreciate it. Now, if you run that out over five days, you have to check my mouth to make, math to make sure, but I think five times 600, isn't that like 3,000? That means in one week they prepare 3,000 meals. 3,000 meals. You eat a lot of food. <laughs> That's something to think about. I appreciate what Brother Jeremy preached to you about there, and I agree with him 100% about the right kind of preaching. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that are lost. I believe preaching is the answer to America's problems. The problem is, as the Bible said in the last days, there's a famine in the land, and it's not as many people say of preaching of the Word of God, it's their hearers of the Word of God. People don't want to hear anymore. I realize there's been a lot of times in my life, personally, I'm sad to say this, that I was like Peter and I came out with a sword and improperly hadn't grown into it and didn't know anything to do but try to kill people with it and cut off the ears of Malchus there who's just there doing his job. And I've cut off many an ear in my time. And the thing is about that, if the Lord doesn't supernaturally put that ear back on, then they're not going to ever hear another message. I've been guilty of doing that before. I'm not using the sword in a, in a skillful manner. I believe that preaching is the answer. I do, but I also believe you have to be willing to hear what God has to say. I'd like to pick up right where he left off, and, but I'm going to do that in the morning. What I want to do is, is almost try to talk you out of where we're headed. I know a friend of mine, a guy that I knew for years and years and years, he used to train uh, what's called BUDS. He did the first portion of the school for the SEAL teams and those kind of things. We worked a lot of, with the Special Forces guys and a lot of the Black Ops guys and different things like that. They used us for training because of where we were located and because of our SWAT guys and all these other kind of things that go on. There's a big protocol thing there. But here's the thing that he would say, we spend the whole first week when we get a new recruit to come in trying to talk them out of quitting. And I said, well, why do you do that? He said, because if they don't really, if they're not really there for the right reason, we know that when the pressure really gets on them, they'll quit. And then it can be that it will endanger other people because they choose to quit at the wrong time. He said, you have to push them to their limits. And he said, it's not just physical, it's between their ears. He said, sometimes they really want to go on and they really want to go forward. Their body won't allow them to do it, but they got the mindset for it, but they just don't have the physical capabilities to be able to do it. But he said, the biggest thing about the real operators, he said, it's nearly nothing to do with their physical ability. He said, a matter of fact, most of our operators weigh between 165 and 180 pounds. They're little guys. Mean as a stinking snake and can do all kind of crazy things that you can't even possibly imagine. And you look at them, they look like normal kind of guys. But man, they don't say much. But when it comes time to act, I mean, they know how to pick them up and put them down. But he said, you know what there is? Their whole other gear that they have is between their ears. You know what's missing today is not that we don't have a lot of talented young people, not that we don't have a lot of talented church people. It's not that we don't even have people that really want to. It's that to go the extra mile, to go the second mile, as the Lord talks us about, and we may talk about that later in the week. In order for us to do that, the problem is where our heart is located. If our heart's not in it, then it doesn't make any difference how much preaching you get because ultimately you'll come to that point where you go, yeah, you know what, little too much for me. 
He said the best operators he had, he said if you were to look at them, you wouldn't think. They weren't really all muscled up. They weren't really super strong when it came to the gym. But he said when it came to just getting the job done, he said they would always get the job done. A couple of them got caught in a bad operation out in Afghanistan. Their helicopter they were in had gone down because of the dirt and stuff that was going and it got in the propeller blades and it caused all kind of stuff. I guess the sand does that. I haven't ever been over there. Don't really want to go there until the millennium or whatever when it's growing like grass. But at any rate, they, they got stopped there and stuck on the backside of nowhere and it was, you know, they couldn't have radio communications and you know, the typical thing that you would maybe even see on TV. He said, here's the odd thing. He said, their CO came in, their commanding officer came in, and they said, you know, we've lost contact with them, we've lost communication. And he said, the CO said something that's very profound. He said this, there's two guys that are with that group that I know personally, and unless they're dead, they'll show back up. Don't give up on them until you find their bodies. Well, about six weeks later, all of a sudden they get contact at a contact point where all of the pickets are out and this and that and the other and they're calling back and forth and they're trying to call in code words because they think it's the bad guys because they're trying to sneak back across the border and guess who it was? It was those two guys leading the other four guys coming across there and they were like well we were told to come back after we finished our mission so when we figured out we couldn't finish our mission we figured we had to get home. How did you get home? Oh we just hitched a ride and came on back home. He said we walked. It was something like 62 miles, and they had to carry some of the people there. It's not something you'll read about in the newspaper. It's not something you can find on your... It was just something that nobody knew anything about, and nobody until now has even heard the story told in public because they just did what they were supposed to do. Why? They were committed to a cause greater than themselves. But I'm going to tell you a story tonight. We're going to look at a thing tonight that's going to maybe open up your idea that just because you have a special calling and just because you have uh, special gifts and things like that, there's some things you need to be aware of that you can expect in the Christian life that are going to do everything they can to try to discourage you from doing it. Don't be surprised if discouragement comes. Take your Bible and look, if you will, please, in Genesis 37. How many of you know, real quick before you look up, can I just ask you a question real quick? And I'm being sincere about this. How many of you know the story of, of Joseph and the coat of many colors? Nearly everybody? Okay, guess what? I'm just going to tell you a little story about Joseph and the coat of many colors, okay? Would you agree with me that Joseph is a great type of Christ, right? I mean, if you've read Dr. Ruckman's commentary, you know it's like 152 particulars you find about Joseph, right? And everybody knows about it, and we've all heard about it in Sunday school. If you were brought up in Sunday school, you know about Joseph's coat of many colors. Did you know also Joseph was a dreamer of dreams? Did you know also that Joseph wound up in some very precarious places? Or do you only know about when he gets the treasure at the end of the story when he winds up being second in command and he gets Pharaoh's daughter and they get married and live happily ever after and he winds up feeding everybody? Do you know all the steps and all the years in between when he first had the coat of many colors and had the dreams? Do you know everything that transpired along the way? Look, and let's just see if we can learn something by a picture in the Old Testament. Just a story of a guy that's like Christ, a story like Jesus. Notice what he says, if you will, please. Let me get there. Excuse me. Genesis chapter number 37. 
The Bible says this in verse number 2, and there are generations of Jacob, Joseph being 17 years old, so he'd be your age. What does he do in feeding the flock? Something we know little of nowadays with his brethren. The lad was the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zipha and the father's wives, and Joseph brought unto his father in their evil report. Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was a son in his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. Would you agree with me that he would stand out a little bit? Would you agree that that coat of many colors would maybe set him apart some? Notice what happens in verse number four or verse number five. He dreams of dreams and he uh, tells it to his brethren. Now listen, not to make jokes about it, but let me say this. He dreamed a dream and he was asked to tell the dream and he was in a hurry to tell the dream. And there was nothing wrong with the dream. As a matter of fact, the dream that he told, if you look in those verses, it's 100% true. You with me? Brother Jerry, while you're standing, you pray for us if you would please, and then we'll get ready to start with the message. Amen. Remember the SEAL team I was telling you about, or the guy that trained the BUDS people? That's what they put them through before they actually go to SEAL team training and that kind of thing. Remember what I told you about him? Remember I told you that at the initial onset, his job was to make people quit. He actually told the guys that. He said when they showed up in there, he said, I have one job, that's to make you quit and to make you wish you wouldn't even, had not even signed up to do this. It's a voluntary thing. It's a very special operation group. And a lot of those guys do things. They never get recognized for it. It messes up their mind, messes up their body. They serve their country or they serve their eco or they serve whatever it is. But here's what he said. He said, I want them to know clearly what it is they're getting into. He said, I tell them every bad thing that I know of that can possibly happen to, up to and including them being not appreciated for the job that they're about to do, to not be recognized for the job that they're about to do, to understand that they may die on some foreign battlefield or some jungle somewhere and nobody even know where they are. And maybe if they happen to be working for a a governmental agency, they might get a star on the wall with no name on it and no recognition. And he said, and not Not only that, I tell them, you may give your life for something you don't even believe in. You sure you want to be here? They don't care about you. They could care less if you die for them. They'll spit on you. They'll spit on your flag. They'll urinate on you. They could care less whether or not you want to go out there and kill bad guys and that kind of a thing. And by the way, killing bad guys is only a minor part of your job. Your job is training, 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 training for all the what-ifs in life. And you may not ever see a what-if. As a matter of fact, the washout rate back then was not. 92%, 92% of the guys that got that far into the BUDS training, 92%. He said, so look around and notice this, out of a class of 100, there's about 8 of you that are going to get through. The rest of you aren't going to make it. So why don't you just go home now? Why bother? You're too stupid. You're too ugly. You're too inept. You can't do anything. He said, I spent all my time trying to tell him. He said, I said, well, tell me what the reasoning, because I was in charge of training, FT, uh, field training officers and things like that. I said, what's the reasoning behind doing that? He said, so they're not surprised when it gets bad. But oftentimes with Christians, I know that we talk about trials, tribulations, and storms. I'm going into a storm. I'm coming out of a storm. There's going to be a storm on the horizon and all that kind of stuff. But he said, sometimes, you know, we don't tell the guys when they come to training. We make it like there's going to be these, you know, these confetti parades that are thrown. And there's going to be these 21-gun salutes. And the guys are going to line up. And they're going to come over there. And they're going to take off their colors and take off their badges. And they're going to pound them into the casket and all. But they're dead. And the kids and the mom are left alone. We don't tell them in the Christian life that sometimes it doesn't work out the way you draw it up. Sometimes, guess what? You do right and you get hammered for it. 
Could you give me an example, preacher? Yeah, how about Jesus? Tell me what he did wrong. He got hammered, didn't he? I mean, I think he got nailed, if you want to know that. He got whipped. He got spat on. Did he get appreciated at all? Did he get recognized at all? They still haven't recognized him today. I mean, if he was in it for himself, I mean, a good night alive, why didn't he just write his name in the sky and say, come unto me all that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest? Why would he choose the way of suffering, the way of difficulty, the way of trouble, the way of dying like he's some common thief or a common criminal and he's saying, follow me? I'm thinking, follow you, man. You're going to a cross. I mean, got to be honest with you, sometimes you have to side with Judas, don't you? When you side with Peter, when you draw your sword out and say, Lord, though all these others forsake thee, yet will not I. And the Lord said, yeah, you're going to forsake me too. I mean, everybody has their price, don't they? I mean, you don't know what you're really amounted to until the pressure gets on you, until the torture gets hard enough. I don't want anything to do with torture. People talk about, oh, I think I could withstand it. I mean, have your arms pulled up behind you and jacked out a socket and having them pull uh, fingernails out of you or drill your teeth out or any other things you could think of as far as torture is concerned. I got to be honest with you. I think I'd be singing like a canary or in my case, a peacock. But I mean, I think I'd be singing. I mean, I don't know that I'm that kind of tough guy that would be able to do those kinds of things. I mean, you draw it up all kind of ways in your mind. But when's the last time you thought of the Christian life instead of being sag, bag, and drag that, you know what, I'm a Christian and guess what's going to happen? I'm going to get hammered for it. For doing what? For doing right. I'm going to be disappointed and I'm going to be discouraged. You know what? Sometimes our expectations lead to disappointments, kids, because nobody tells us, listen, just because you're a Christian doesn't mean you get a free pass. If anything, it means you're probably going to get hammered worse. Now all of a sudden you become a Christian and it's like you have all of a sudden attracted all of these enemies. It's not just the carnal anymore, which we'll talk about. All of a sudden it's the devil's after you, the world's after you, the flesh is after you. It's like, you know, before I got saved, I didn't have half the problem. Guess what? That's true if you live your life for Christ. But who wants to talk about that? It's almost like a bait and switch. Come to Jesus and all your problems are over. Now that you're saved, your problems are just beginning. Well, if I'd have known that, maybe I wouldn't have got saved. Well, listen, I'm here to tell you that the Christian life is not always until we get home to eternity. Listen, read 2 Corinthians 11 tonight when you get back to your cabin. And look at the Apostle Paul, who is in a way, he's being a bit sarcastic, what he talks about the ministry being. You say, what is the ministry? The ministry is making 600 meals a day for people that never say thank you. It's for putting a whole bunch of balloons together for you knotheads to throw at each other so you can, besides jumping in the lake, you can get wet and talk about the shots you made or whatever. Those balloons and that food are just as important as the preaching is. But oftentimes the preachers, oh boy, I appreciate the message. Boy, that was really good. Well, I can guarantee you if all you had was preaching from now till Friday, you'd be appreciating a meal more than you'd appreciate another message from the Bible. That's just a fact of the matter. And what happens is sometimes we forget that along the way, that's the Christian life. The Christian life is one of, hey, guess what? I'm not doing it to get appreciation or thankfulness. I have a little bit of experience there, and I know some of you don't like it or whatever, but I'm not ashamed of the fact I was a policeman. I was doing law enforcement when I was 17. I was officially in law enforcement at 17, but I wasn't allowed to be in it in the sense of full-time until I was 19 when I finished the academy. And while, listen, I very rarely ever did I have people thank me for pulling them over to write them a ticket. 
I mean, I always heard all kinds of ways of everybody telling me why it wasn't legal for me to write people a ticket for, for speeding and so on and so forth. But what they didn't see was the amount of people that slowed down so it prevented deaths and prevented babies from being killed and all that. And I realize that's a bit melodramatic for some of you, but we didn't write it because we had quotas to fill and all that. I wasn't expected an appreciative letter that said to me, hey, thanks for writing me for 20 over. They're thinking it's costing me my insurance. Well, the intent of doing that is is so that we don't wind up scraping you off the road. But you don't appreciate that right now because that's how shallow your relationship is. I don't think of any time I can remember. I show up to a crime scene where everybody is glad to see me there. Every contact I had for the most part was negative. But I didn't sign up because I was waiting for them to throw a ticker tape parade when I showed up. I signed up because I hoped I was there to help somebody that needed help that couldn't get help. Can I just say this to you? If you sign up thinking as a Christian, everybody's, oh, they're a Christian. And not only that, you're real whack-a-moles. You want to be the hemorrhoids of the crowd of Christians? You are Bible believers. You make everybody burn an itch whenever you show up. You're not the one burning an itch and you make them burn an itch. You say, why? Oh, they're Bible believers. They're King James only. Yes, we are. We're King James only. Why? We're trying to help. We're trying to help. We're not trying to hurt anybody. We're trying to help somebody. We want you to understand we're King James because we believe that's the authority. And we're Bible believers because we believe that's the authority. But you know what happens? All of a sudden, you get saved and you think everybody's going to be, Oh, you're a Bible believer. How wonderful. Please come and join us. You know what they say? (sighs) Get away from me. You're a Bible believer. Right? Because the expectation is, is now that I'm saved, the Lord's going to come in. Listen, we ride horses at the second coming, but until that time, I just want to kind of reduce your expectations and just tell you straight up, sometimes the Christian life is hard, and sometimes it is one of those jobs like your preachers feel on a regular basis. They preach on average four times a week. Did you ever think about that? If 52 weeks in a year, that's 208 sermons in a year. How would you like to do that? 208 times. That's if they don't preach anywhere else. That's four times a week they have to come to the trough with something new. If they're a Bible believer, they're studying on a regular basis. They have to get their power of God by applying their behind to the chair and they get infused from their behind up. It don't come from the head down. They have to apply that behind to that chair and sit there and study that book and study that book until God gives him the message that he wants for that particular week subject to change by the time he steps in the pulpit. And people come by, yeah, it was a nice talk. Yeah, I appreciate it. They go on and get where they can't wait to get out and eat. Sometimes they're like Elijah. They get finished preaching and all that kind of stuff. Nobody even comes by and says, hey, appreciate you bringing the rain. I appreciate the famine's over with. Appreciate that we're going to have some food now. And the animals are getting watered now. Appreciate you washing the mud off of everything. Appreciate all that kind of stuff. No, it's man, hey, you know what? He ran five is two hairs past the preckle eastern elbow time, man. I mean, he ran over five minutes, man. He's getting into my, 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 my lunch reservation. Right? But a preacher can't sign up to it for appreciation. He has to sign up to it because God called him to do it. The Lord didn't get appreciated at all. Do you see the apostles? Lord, we sure appreciate it. You see them on up there when the transfiguration, I mean not the transfiguration, but when the ascension takes place. Do you see them up there saying, Lord, we sure appreciate all you did for us. And thank you, boy. You sure has been a blessing to be with you. I mean, they've been hiding in the upper room and then they wind up, every one of them winds up getting killed. Maybe John doesn't, but it sure looks like he suffers persecution. You ever look at how the preachers get treated in the Bible? 
There's Jeremiah down there in a pit and Elijah underneath a juniper tree. They get stoned and they get sawn asunder according to the book of Hebrews. And they get, that's your life as a Christian. Do you still want to be a Christian? I'm trying to talk you out of it. I didn't say I'm talking you out of being saved. So I never heard no preacher ever talk like that. Yeah, but it's time that you face facts. That's what the world is going to bring to you. You're going to get laughed at. You're going to get mocked. You're going to be made fun of. You don't need to spend your time making fun of your authorities and making fun of your parents and making fun of whoever's in the government and making fun of who's your school teacher and all that other kind of stuff. You say, why? Well, you reap what you sow, man. You're in a crowd now that despises Jesus Christ. They don't like him. They hate him. So you know what they do? You become their battering ram, and so they take advantage of you. You want to quit now? Go ahead. I can't stop you. When pressure comes, and it's going to. When trouble comes, and it's going to. When tribulation comes, and it's going to. It's time that you go, you know what? I expected this. It hasn't been as bad as I thought it was going to be. Better prepare for the worst and hope for the bad. That's what Bob Jones Sr. said. But nowadays, it's kind of like, well, I got saved, and I'm still having physical problems, and I don't have a girlfriend, and I don't have a boyfriend, and it's good you don't until you're about 30. But, it, but, it, but, but here's the thing. I have this problem, I have this problem, I have this problem. And the Lord says, well, you got one problem you don't have. Your soul is saved. But I'm not promising you anything. Paul says to you, in this world you shall have tribulation. You ever wonder why sometimes there is a diminishing of men in the ministry, but also men in our churches today? Why more women are stepping up spiritually than men are? And the reason is because men sign up and think as soon as they do, everybody's going to just think, man, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And they get saved, and then all of a sudden they get treated like a piece of mud on the bottom of somebody's shoe. It's like, man, Lord, I didn't sign up for this. The Lord said, yeah, me either, but I know what it's like. Right? Are you seeing that story of Joseph? You know what he did? He didn't lie. I want to say this first and foremost, if I can remember my text correctly and if I can remember the outline in my head, uh, if I remember correctly, you know what begins to happen? He begins to, to do the equivalent of you preaching. He tells them one time about the sheaves out there in the field. There's 11 of them. They all bow down to him. Daddy making 12 there. And Joseph would be the one they bow down to. And the next time it's stars that are there. And the Bible said they envied him. You know what they did? They had a devilish conspiracy to come together against him. You know, one of the things you're going to have to learn to overcome, and I wish it was in this way. I really do. But you're going to have to overcome that devious conversation of your brethren that are going to make fun of you. You say, what are they going to do? They're going to say every kind of thing you can possibly imagine. Just because you're saved, people come to my church on a regular, our church, whatever. They come to our church over on Hartley Road. You know what they do? They come in there and they say, somebody hurt my feelings. I said, okay. And they said, well, I mean, they're a Christian. I said, okay. Well, I mean, I didn't think Christians acted like that. I said, well, you act that way, don't you? Well, no, I don't act that way. You, don't, you never hurt anybody's feelings? Let me ask you a question. Be straight up, will you? If you want to, you can close your eyes so you don't have to see anybody. Anybody in here ever been hurt by a Christian before? Can you raise your hand? Leave your hand up if you've ever hurt anybody. You say, well, preacher, what do you think about Christians? I've been hurt by Christians. Suit of clothes I'm wearing right now, the pair of shoes I got on my feet, the drawers I'm wearing underneath this, Christians took care of me. You think I'm going to talk about the hand that feeds me? Sure, I've had Christians hurt me, but I had a whole lot more of them help me than have hurt me. Do you know what you're going to have to learn to do? You're going to have to recognize and learn. They're going to lie about you when it would be better for them to tell the truth. They're going to say deceitful things about you, derogatory things about you, disrespectful things about you. You say, what are you doing? Joseph didn't do anything wrong. Maybe he was a little high-minded and maybe they envied him because of something daddy did. Dad's the one that gave him the coat. 
Dad's the one, Father, give you a gift, give you an ability, give you an ability to be able to mine things out of the Bible that other people can't. Guess what they're going to do? They're like crabs in a pot. They're going to try to pull you down. And they're going to lie about you. And they're going to say things that are rude. And they're going to do their best to try to get under your skin. You say, well, what do you do? The Bible says when the Lord was reviled, He reviled not again. That takes a lot of character. Those guys stand there in formation, and when that guy gets through dressing them down, I mean, I mean saying things that I wouldn't dare to repeat, and I'm not trying to be vulgar or rude, but I'm talking about getting close to the cotton and making kinds of uh, fun of people that if you have any b- b- blood in you at all, any manhood in you at all, you're going to want to jump on somebody, and maybe you not whoop them, but be able to let them know they've been in a fight, that kind of stuff, and they stand there and they just take it, and they 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 take it. You say, why? They can't explode under that kind of pressure. But Christians, the next thing you know, you have they're hiding behind a keyboard. It ain't no longer man to man anymore or woman to woman. Now the stinking little pipsqueaks, you know what they do? They hide behind a keyboard. You say, what do you do? Turn it off. Why do you have to respond to it? I remember years ago, I had some information on a guy that was telling some lies about the old preacher, and I happened to have some connections back then and know a few things, and I found out a whole bunch of things, caught him in, I don't know, maybe a half a dozen lies, literally conservatively, even had some things that it was borderline of the fact that some of the stuff he was doing was illegal, unlawful, and all that other stuff, let alone immoral and childish and that kind of a deal. And I put together a little bit of a folder, and I said, now, here's what you can do if you'd like to do it. He looked at the table there, we are having breakfast one morning, English muffin with some breaking real crisp there and some butter and coffee and he's having two eggs over light there I can remember his menu from so many times being there with him he said what's that and I said you remember that guy saying so and so and he said yeah and I said well that's a workup on him there to give you some information on him if you want to do something about it and he said okay and he shoved it across the table and I said you want to take a look at it he said no I said well there's some pretty uh pretty ripe information in there I mean I mean if you put that stuff out I said all you have to do is make one phone call and tell him that you know where he got this and got that and so on and so forth I said that's all credible information from legal lawful sources I didn't do anything wrong to get the information I did it all straight up there's the information and he said okay throw it away well I gotta be honest with you I'm thinking man I work pretty hard on getting that stuff together you know what he said to me He said to me, if I take time for everybody that's against me for whatever the reason may be, he said, I won't have any time to do what God's called me to do. He said, second thing is, he said, this guy's a spiritual coat tailor. The second I respond to him, he's going to attach everything he's doing because I took the time, if I have any status at all, to respond to him. And now all of a sudden, everybody's going to think he's somebody because I took the time to correct him. And I said, but preacher, he's lying about you. He said, thank God he's not telling the truth. He said, tear it up and throw it away. You say, what does that take? That takes character. That's hard to do, isn't it? Keep your head down and do your job. You got to be task oriented. I had a guy that was a DI in the Marine Corps that happened to be the guy that put me through the academy. Man, that guy could scream. He could scream running backwards. We ran six miles every day, every single day at the end of the academy. You get finished with PT and you go out and you do your hop sing stuff and your jujitsu and your 
hand-to-hand junk and all that other kind of stuff and firearms and all that and sweating and doing all the other crazy training that you do out there and flopping around on the mats and jumping over cars and falling over asphalt and all that kind of stuff. And you get done with that and then you line up and you start in formation and he's calling cadence and he would run along backwards. And, and, and if he just, for some reason, he just didn't like you that day. He would run right next to you running backwards the whole time and he would call you things you can't even possibly imagine, daring you to break ranks or to respond to him. And you know what he said when we got finished with everything? The reason I do that is, is one day you're going to pull somebody over on the side of the road and they're going to get out and they're not going to know you from Adam's house cat and they're going to call you every name in the book and they're going to talk about your wife and your kids and they're going to threaten to kill your wife and kids. They're going to threaten to commit murder and all this other kind of stuff. And he said, and if you fall for that, you know what's going to happen. You're going to be the one in the backseat of the car. Don't you expect that guy for you to say whatever you want to say and do whatever you want to do? Don't you expect him to take it and you don't even know him? My, 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 aren't you a big person? You say, what? no, the bigger person is the guy that says, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, I understand. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am, we don't have a quote. Well, I can write as many as you'd like. Would you like some more? I mean, you, 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 you know, I, no, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure she's that way. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Could you sign right here, please? I'll have your job. I'm going to do this. I'll have my wife, kill, my husband kill your wife. I'm going to kill your, I'm going to kill your whole family. I'm come. You say, well, that's no big deal. Oh, it's no big deal that they pull up in front of the church in a Cadillac. And get out of the car when you're walking into the church house. And another guy comes in behind him and he says, I'm here to kill him. So it's just, it's just empty threats. Uh, really? <laughs> you say, how do you feel about that? Well, it all works out real good until your wife's name is on a list and you go to get the guy and pick him up. And then all of a sudden you find out there's a vest by every window and door and there's about a thousand rounds of ammunition and a couple of semi-automatic weapons and stuff and him getting prepared because of what I used to do is after her. You say, well, what, well uh, preacher, that, that, that don't really happen. Well, it happened to me. You call me a liar. <laughs> Happened to me. How do you think I take it when somebody says something about friends of mine that I put in the ground and they got shot by somebody that didn't even know them and they were defending somebody they didn't even know? How do you think that sets? You say, what is that? That's the Christian life. You've got to learn to take the derogatory marks. You have to learn to understand that's part of what goes with it. Well, I don't like how you dress, and I don't think it's right that you're conservative in your beliefs, and I don't think it's this and this and that and the other. Have a nice day. See you later. Well, you're ugly and your mama dresses you funny. Thank you very much. Glad I got a mama to dress me. See you later. Have you late. Bye-bye. Right? You say, what are we doing? That's Joseph's brothers. Number two, it's not just their conversation. It's a conspiracy. What are they doing? He's coming to feed them. I'll try to hurry, but I need you to listen to me. He's coming to feed them. You know what they're doing? They're conniving a way to kill him, the one that's trying to feed him. You ain't never conspired against your preacher, have you, your pastor? You kind of want him dead or out of the church or out of the way. All he's trying to do is feed you. But he was off a half a bubble. Maybe just Holy Ghost wasn't quite on him full bore, you know. He didn't really entertain you. Or maybe he got in your kitchen and maybe he plowed your taters or got too close to the cotton. And all he's trying to do is just put some food in the trough. And you ain't never picked up the phone like, I don't know what's wrong with the preacher today. Kind of got a little crabby up there, don't you think? What's the matter? Did you get your feelings hurt? Did you ever realize he's a 
a human being and possibly he might have something going on at home. Maybe he's sick. Maybe he's having a fight with his wife. Maybe he's having some prodigal kids happening. Maybe he's struggling with his own personal thing. But what's he doing? He's still coming all the time to try to put some food in the trough. He's just taking the coat of many colors that God gave him. It's not his fault he got the coat of many colors. He's just there and all of a sudden here he is. He's got the coat of many colors and you're making fun of him for something that God gave him. It ain't his fault. God gave it to him. But you know what they did? They conspired. Number three, if you're following in the passage, it's all right there. Old Schofield Bible, that'll be on the left-hand page down at the bottom of the column. They're conspiring there on the left-hand page, the top of the right-hand column. You know what they wind up doing? The circumstances are about to derail Joseph. You say, why? He goes over there to feed him. They throw him in prison. They put him in a pit. This is Joseph, a man who is in 152 particulars and then some in your Bible is a type of Christ. He is one of the patriarchs. Right? In the old, am I right? Your Bible, believe right? Your Bible student, right? Am I right? Joseph is one of the big dogs in the Bible. Look at how he's being treated. Well, preacher, I really want to be a Christian, but I mean, I think I like just being saved, and I don't. This is why most people don't want to become a Christian. Because guess what? You're going to catch some heat. You say, why? The brothers are putting him in a pit and figuring out how to kill him. They don't like what he has to say. Always talking about dreams God gave him. Dream. He didn't dream it up. God gave him a dream. All he did was tell him the dream. All your preacher's doing is telling you what the Bible said. And then all of a sudden, guess what? You go out and parrot what the preacher told you. And they hate you for telling them the truth. Hey, you're going to go to hell if you don't get saved. Why don't you get saved? They hate you. But you're just a messenger. And the Bible says, guess what happens? He's the type of a Christian. Guess what he does? He winds up with his brethren. Listen, don't make fun, don't mock, don't belittle the brethren. I'm saying all the brethren ain't bad. We get to it tomorrow. You're going to need your companions in order to get through this thing. You've got to have a buddy. Even in the military, you have a battle buddy. And even when we do certain things in operations, when the communication stops, the communication continues with taps and touches and with eyesight. But you have to recognize and understand leaning on somebody is hard to do when all they do is they're always conspiring to come against you. And now you find yourself down in a pit. And where's your coat? <laughs> they're putting goat's blood on it, man. They're planning on killing you. You cease to exist. Can you imagine how it was down there? No water, no bread, no food. What kind of way is that for a servant of the Lord to be treated? Well, we're not done yet. You ready to quit? Why not? All I got is a pit. All you got is people against you. Why not? I mean, why, I mean, really. I mean, isn't that what they did with the Lord? Everywhere he went, he was an enemy. All he was doing was helping people. Raising the dead and healing the sick and giving the blind their eyesight and giving the lepers back their full uh, capacity to go back and operate society. Taking a demon-possessed man and making him function in society and curing him of all of his problems. The woman with the issue and, and the woman at the well. I mean, the Bible is full of people doing miracles and all they wanted to do was kill him. Well, guess what happens? He gets in the pit by the conspiracy and then he goes from the pit. Everybody knows the story. You say, they, so you know what they do? They figure out a way they can make a dollar off of Joseph. They say, I tell you what we can do. Let's don't kill him. Oh, thank God for Reuben. He comes in. He gets a stay of execution. Reuben says, I tell you what let's do. Let's sell him. Highest bidder. And along come them, the slave traders. 
You know, one of the things I do like about the slave traders, there's a whole message in it, but one of the things that the slave traders have is they know they can't get what they need to get from the slave if they don't take care of his wounds first. They have some balm with them to cover up his wounds. That means he's been beaten up by his own brothers. Can you imagine how his heart must have felt? I bet it felt like a stinking butterfly with a broken wing trying to flap around when he realized his brothers are trying to kill him. Can you imagine how that must have hurt him? How dejected he must have been? How diswrought? Wouldn't you be sitting down there in the bottom of the pit crying? I mean, your life's coming to an end. Daddy's not going to know about it. They're going to lie about you. You just disappeared. Some wild animal got you. I mean, all alone and deserted, let alone be in a pit. You're all by yourself. Nobody there to help you. The brothers who you thought were going to help you, oh, guess what? There's the desertion. Hey, you're on your own. You boys up here in the backside of nowhere, I, I feel for you. I at least got a few folks around me and stuff like that. And I get an opportunity to get around some. But some of you guys, you're back up in the hollers and you're back up in the woods and you're back up away from things. You don't have a lot of people around. You're all by yourself. I feel for you. It's got to be tough. Well, let's hurry the story along. You know what winds up happening there. I'm just talking about the being a Christian. I'm trying to talk you out of it. I'm trying to tell you it ain't all it's cracked up to be. But I hadn't got to the reward yet. That's where it gets good. There's a positive ending to a very negative story. He winds up with the slave traders. What do they do? They go sell him again. This time they sell him to Potiphar. You all know the story. And he winds up there at Potiphar's house. So what does Potiphar do? Listen, listen. You've got to recognize that the devil wants to get you out any way he can. Now you know what he wants to do? He wants to appeal to your carnal desires. Now, you got to get the mindset of this. The people that are supposed to love him and care for him have deserted him and taken advantage of him. The God he's supposed to serve and the one who has given him the dreams, it looks like has deserted him because he's not hearing anything from God. There's no more record of any more dreams. The coat that was supposed to distinguish him has been taken away from him. He is now considered to be a common slave, and he's in that situation. Now, here's what's going to happen to you. You get in that situation when you get tired, when you get distraught, when you get discouraged, when you get heartbroken, and then all of a sudden, here comes a carnal thing. Hey, why don't you come smoke with us? Why don't you come drink with us? Why don't you come do some drugs with us? And they can run up all the scare tactics they want to. But if your mind's not right, you know what you do? Well, why not? God ain't doing nothing to help me anyway. Boys, you need to listen to me. You know what he appealed to? You know what the devil appealed to? He took a woman and he said to that man, grown man, hey, I need you to come lie with me. I don't think she was ugly as a mud fence. I got no idea who the movie stars are, but I will tell you this, I think when the devil entices, he entices with the best and the prettiest. And I think the carnal desires there of Joseph, if you're not careful, you know what happened? That'll wind up putting you in prison. You know what carnal said? I'll keep my, lose my coat, but I'll keep my character, as the old preacher used to say. But girls, you're no different. Boyfriend will come along and break your little heart. That's why you got to be careful. If they get your heart, boy, they got you. You'd be surprised how stupid you'll act when they get your heart, man. They'll tear you out of the frame. And the next thing you know, you find out that they've been Facebooking with somebody or they've been talking with somebody or they've been doing this or that with somebody. And then all of a sudden, boy, I mean, that puppy love that's real to the puppy, that heart comes down and crushed like an egg under a giant's heel. Am I preaching to you now? You know what the temptation is? Why don't you hit the bottle? 
Why don't you go drinking with the girls? Why don't you listen to the music? It comforts you, doesn't it? Put on a little bit of that country western and cry with them a little bit. I see your tears, girls. I see you. I can tell your heart's broken. I can tell it's happened to you. You say, why? Boy, you know what happens when that heart snaps like that? You figure, well, why, why, why bother? Why keep myself clean? Why keep myself pure? Why hold out for the right thing if this is how you get treated, if this is what God does for you? Well, why not go out there and be a, a stinking slut puppy? Why not go out here and run the bars and run the clubs and do what everybody else does and send the wrong kind of pictures and the wrong kind of messages? And Well, why not? I mean, I know other girls that are in the church that do it and nothing ever happens to them. Why not? Well, it's the Christian life. <laughs> the big question. Well, God, you said you'd take care of me. The Lord said, I'm taking care of you. He was a knothead. You don't have nothing to do with him. He's a pinhead. He's an idiot. Leave him alone. But Lord, I love him. I know. I'm sorry you love him. <laughs> but let's replace it with the right kind of thing. But it's hard, isn't it? Boys, the second you think you've got that thing down under control and it won't ever affect me or nothing, you wait for your mind to get low enough in the dumps and before long, boy, you'll be slumming around with people you never thought you'd be slumming around doing stuff you never thought you'd doing and scar your life for the rest of your life. And Joseph said, nothing doing. I'll take the consequences. Joseph is still standing for the Lord and the Lord ain't talking to him. Man, he's got character. You'd almost say he had the character of a king. But the making of the king, my aching back. Potiphar comes home. Hey, honey, what's for dinner? I don't know. I don't cook around here. You got servants that do that. Well, it seems like everything's kind of busted up around the house, man. What in the cat hair went on around here? I walked by the gatekeeper out there, and he turned and walked off the other way, and I pulled the Bentley into the parking place up there, and the guys took off real quick, went and parked around back, and I couldn't find anybody in the garage when I came through, and I came through the thing, took my shoes off, and everybody took off like roaches when you turn the light on. I, I what's going on around here? And while I'm on it, where's Joseph? I mean... That boy, everything he touches turns to gold, man. I need to find out how I'm doing. I mean, he turns a profit every single day around here. Where is that? Hey, honey, where's Joseph? He tried to abuse me. He immediately looks around the room, and everybody else is standing there. And they're saying, please don't ask me. Please don't ask me. And he said, he did what? I think he asked her a second time. I don't know that to be a fact. Joseph did that? That's so out of character for Joseph. I, I kind of find that hard to believe, but I think he chose rather than uh, sleeping on the couch, he figured he better bring Joseph in. But I think he must have believed his wife because if he wanted to, that's his slave, he could have killed him for it. Wouldn't you kill somebody that raped your wife? I sure would. He must have seen something in there. She's holding his coat. You know what he looked at that coat? You know what he saw? There's not a tear on that thing. If he was struggling with you in that kind of a deal and you're putting up a fight, surely there'd be some evidence. You got skin under your fingernails there, honey. You got bruises on your jaws where he's beating you down or something like that. Call Joseph in here. Here comes Joseph. He's standing there. He said, take your shirt off, boy. Yes, sir, but in, but in public, uh, I mean, he said, take your shirt off. 
takes his shirt off there and he looks him over real good and stuff like that. And he said, uh, you been fighting with anybody? No, sir. No, sir, I haven't been fighting with nobody. He looks over there and he sees her standing with the coat. He said, well, you know what she said? You know what he said? Well, boss man, that's not true. You ever think about it? Why did boss man put him in prison? See, you don't see the unseen hand of God. Instead of killing him, God still had a purpose for him. You say, what did he have to do first? Go to prison. Are you still with me? It's just a simple little Sunday school story. It's a Bible school story. Potiphar, if he was mad at him for messing around with his wife, sure did a strange thing when he put him in the prison. He put him in charge in the prison. He must not have believed his wife, but sometimes cheaper to keep her, boys, I'm just telling you. That's law first mentioned in the Bible. He's down there in prison. You know the story. He meets a couple of guys in there. He says, hey, man, when you get out, could you remember me? Look at this. Even his prison buddies forget him when they get out. One day he gets a call from the big house. And they call him up there. and They say, hey, listen, uh, we understand you know something about dreams. He said, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, I, I don't, but I know the one that does. And you say, what happens to Joseph? Well, see, listen, if you learn to listen to his counsel, you'll also realize you get to share in the reward that he has for you. The Lord told him what to tell about a dream. Isn't that what got him in trouble in the first place? But the very thing that got him in trouble in the beginning was God's manifestation Later on, providentially, the Lord used the same interpretation of dreams to get him out of the prison, to get him out of Potiphar's house, to get him out of the pit, and to put him into the palace. Now he gets to share in the reward. I've wondered this when I've read the story. I've read it a couple times. I've wondered this. What if the first time his brothers made fun of him and conspired against him, he said, you know what, I'm done. What if after he got thrown in the pit, he got so bitter about being thrown in the pit, he said, I'm done. But see, the story doesn't stop there because then he winds up being unfairly persecuted and that whole thing was the Lord moving the pieces where they needed to go because the Lord knew there was a famine coming. Remember the seven fit skinny cows and seven fat cows and that kind of thing? One ate cinnamon rolls, one didn't. You determine which one it was, but... And so then all of a sudden, guess what happens? There's a famine in the land and the very brothers that didn't like him for bringing him food the first time are the very brothers that are coming to him to ask him for food the second time. It's probably a coincidence. Unless you believe that you get to listen to what God tells you and then in God's timing, the Lord lets you share in the reward for the benefit of feeding other people with the reward God gave you. See, the whole story there about the Christian life is it never was about you in the first place. It was God using you to serve others. That's the whole point of the Christian life. The treasure is not found in how much you amass. It's in the pipe that it gets to run through so that you can help other people. You just heard a message on being a servant. 
That's what we're supposed to do. He thought himself not equal with God, so he made himself a little over these. He became a servant. The creator of the universe became a servant? Yeah. And he served us. This is my body, which is broken for you. Died on the cross for us. The riches that you read about in the passage, the treasure in the earthen vessel, it's not for you. It's for the benefit of having so much you're able to share it with other people that are starving to death. Kind of takes you out of that. But I wonder this. I wonder if Joseph hadn't have been through that squeezing process. Do you think it might have changed his attitude when he got what the Lord gave him and then he realized the Lord could trust him with what he gave him because of what he had been through in order to get it? Every pain, every problem, every persecution, every trial, every tribulation, it's just preparation to get the ground ready so that when the Lord gets ready to give it to you, listen, and I'm done, and so that when others have needs, you can dispense it to them, but you've got to let God put you through the process without getting mad about them and wanting to quit. You say, why? The Christian life's not about you. It's about what He wants to do through you. Think about this for just a minute, if you would, please. Let's just say I'm not a plumber. I know enough. I do okay with irrigation and stuff. You put a little blue glue on there, a little purple cleaner, and then put the blue glue, and you twist it on there, and it hangs. But high-pressure stuff and plumbings and gate valves and ball valves and all that other kind of stuff. It's a little over my pay grade. I call a plumber for that. But think about this. <clears throat> I got out this afternoon after we got finished eating and went to grab a shower, and I turned on the water and the hot water came on after a little while, and I took a shower. I appreciated the water coming out of the shower head. I appreciated the nozzle that was there. Not one time did I think about the pipe from which the water came. But without the pipe, there'd have been no water. You're a pipe. You're behind the wall. You're just something that the Lord allows stuff to run through. But guess what? Without a bunch of pipes, nobody's getting a drink. The Lord's not looking for shower heads or nozzles today. You know what he's looking for? Just some pipes. Just some people that are willing to say, Lord, could you use me? I mean, I'm pretty good. If you want to run some water through me, put me on the wheel, make me a pipe, and hide me behind the wall. But man, Lord, if I'm carrying you through me to dispense to other people, what a blessing. Years ago, I used to work. This is the last illustration. We'll go eat a cinnamon roll used to work at a gas station. I think I was 13 when I started, maybe, maybe 14, right along in there. And I used to work there, and my, my dad used to tell me all the time that you have to carry this rag. They were kind of a reddish-colored rag back in those days, and you'd send them off in bundles to be washed and that kind of a deal. He said, boy, you always have that rag in your back pocket. And when you're not busy pumping gas in those days, about 13 cents a gallon back then, and sometimes they'd have gas wars and you'd down below a dime, but back then and so you pump gas and when you pump gas back then full service you check the air in the tires and you check the oil and you check the transmission you did all that stuff and clean the windshields and all that kind of stuff then have squeegee you had uh, uh, little brushes and then you had uh, paper towels you could wipe the windshield with and so they come up ding ding the bell go off you come out like gomer pile and you come out there and hey can I help you yes I'd like to fill it up you know and or give me $5 worth. That's like, you know, that's like a lot of gas back then. At 50 cents a gallon, that's 10 gallons, man. It's like, man, you must be almost empty. Yeah, about empty, man. That's $5 for gasoline for a whole tank. That's pretty good. Now you can't even get a gallon for that. 
And so we go out there, my dad would say, when you're not doing something, you know what you need to do? You need to take that pink rag, that red rag, and wipe down the oil cans and wipe off the gas pumps and keep the stuff clean around there and wipe the dust off of this and that and the other. When people come up there, you got that rag with you and you can, instead of using paper towels all the time, you clean the dipstick with that rag, put it back in your pocket and check it again and stick it back in there and take the tire gauge, wipe the mud off the tire and put the air in there and that kind of a deal, that kind of thing. And he said, that's what you ought to do if you're going to be a good employee. Well, I got to thinking one day, I wonder how many of you would be willing to just be an old greasy old rag in the Lord's back pocket. Now, before you say, I wouldn't want to do that, well, then think about it just for a minute. You're right there in his back pocket, and whenever he has need of something, see, it doesn't really matter different until all of a sudden you got an old splattered bug up there on the windshield, and you sure appreciate that rag coming out and getting that obstacle out of the way to be able to see, don't you? You sure appreciate that rag being there when you wind up, there's a knocking in your engine, and you go up there, and rag comes out and check the dipstick and find out you're a couple quarts low, and appreciate knowing that information, don't you? You appreciate the fact when you got sweat coming off your brow and all that kind of stuff, you got a rag there, you can wipe the sweat off, right? Put it back in your pocket. Yeah, it's just a nasty old rag. Yeah, but look who's holding you. Look at the hand that you're in. You may be a rag, but you're God's rag. And I don't care what anybody says. If you're God's rag, you amount to something. Some people may look at you and say, you ain't nothing but a rag. And you know what you can say? Yeah, but I'm God's rag. You ain't nothing but a pipe. Yeah, but I'm God's pipe and he can run water through me anytime he wants to. You say, why? See, it's not about the treasure that you get. It's about what he gives you to be able to give to others. That's the real Christian life. Now you understand it's a purpose. So back to Bud's. He said, you can tell when it changes and it no longer is about them and they're doing it for whatever the mission is. They become at that point expendable. And that is when they become the most valuable because it's no longer about them and self-preservation. It is about what they've been called upon to do. And he said, and that's when you got a real soldier. Well, I would say Jesus Christ is as good as it gets. You say, why? He was mission-oriented. You know what he came to do? To die for me and you. You know what they did? Everything I just told you about Joseph, I don't have time to go through it. You know what they did? Everything that they put Joseph through, they put him through and then some, and they couldn't get him off the mission at hand. And that's what real treasure is. You say, why? You're his treasure, and one day he's going to take you to the treasure house. Father, I pray that you might help us tonight as we consider these matters. I realize some of it's been a little hard, a little harsh, maybe even a little bit difficult. I know I've called their attention to some of the things that we laugh and mock and make fun of. I know some of them have had some very real troubles and trials and difficulties. I, I know that, Lord. I'm not making light of it. But Lord, I think there are some here that are beginning to grab it and get it and that if they can learn these principles of Joseph. And we can learn these things as Christian young men and young women, not boys and girls anymore. Lord, these aren't little elementary school kids anymore. They're not primaries anymore. They're soon to be grown men and women. Would you take maybe something that was said here tonight, Lord, and put it down in the recesses of their heart and help them to realize that the treasure is, the real value is, is when God can use them to bless other people with. And pray, Lord, that you'll help some of us to just be a better rag and be a better pipe. 
pray you'll bless this time we have together with you this week. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.